This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. In these next few moments that we have together, I want to encourage you to plant your life once again in Jesus and in the body of Christ. We believe that as you do that, you are going to flourish. We've been in this series called Flourish. If you have your Bibles with you today, go with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 92, verses 12 through 14. I'll be reading from the NKJV. This is the text that we've been working from. And here's again what it says. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. We believe that God has created you and I to flourish, to thrive, to grow, to advance, to prosper, to overcome. We also believe that all healthy things grow and that God wants you to be healthy in your soul. And that includes your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual life. Today we're going to continue our series with a message I'm calling Flourish in Your Process. Flourish in Your Process. I want to talk to you about the importance of trusting God with your process. The truth is, all of us are in process, meaning we're a work in progress, aren't we? God's still working on our hearts and our lives, and he's still growing us and maturing us to become who we were meant to be so that we can flourish. When you first get saved or come to follow Jesus, how many of you know that you don't just become a magically different person overnight? Yes, some things change immediately. This might include some of your appetites and desires. What once seemed beneficial to you now no longer holds that same power or sway over your soul. Uh, and even your interest to follow God, to do what's right, to honor him with your choices has, has now changed. But a lot of things are still changing. Did you catch that? The scriptures talk about your mind needing to be renewed. This includes your thoughts and the way you see yourself. Candace did a really great job just a couple weeks ago of talking about our identities and how most of us begin with a distorted or even an inaccurate view of how God sees us and ultimately how we see ourselves. As a result, we need to have our minds renewed. We need new thoughts. We need God's thoughts. And this involves a process. It involves learning to trust God in ways that are new and unfamiliar, especially as he walks alongside you and begins to point out things in your life that he wants to change. As Christians, the ultimate focus for all of our lives is that we would continue to look more and more like Jesus. That's what God's most interested in. He's more interested in who you become rather than just what you do. Can I repeat that? God's more interested in who you become rather than just what you do. The scriptures say this about it in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Without stepping into any sticky theological debates, the scriptures are pretty clear here that God has predestined us as his followers to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And I love that it goes on to say, in order that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's saying to us that God wants a big family. And he's already thought of a way or a process for how that's going to happen. Isn't that cool? I just love how 
awesome God is. And so that's what God's up to right now with the body of Christ. He's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. And when we cooperate with this effort, the word we might use uh, here is surrender. When we surrender to the process or work of his Holy Spirit, he actively restores our very broken image and distorted likeness back to its original intent. As this happens, not only do we begin to mirror our creator God again, but we begin to look more and more like the fully restored and fully healed and fully healthy version of who he uniquely created each and every one of us to be. And we see that in Jesus. We see what that's supposed to look like. As Romans 8 is saying here, Jesus is the template. He's the image. He's the mold. Jesus represents what a non-broken and non-distorted humanity is supposed to look like. In addition to surrender and having your mind or thoughts renewed, being in process also means that we have to learn to adopt godly habits and to become disciplined in applying God's truth to our lives. As much as we'd love for God to just come along and flick a switch and have everything change for us, God doesn't do work that way. He doesn't, he doesn't force his truth upon you or anyone. You have to make a choice to listen to what God's saying and to apply what he wants to do in your life. Once again, this involves a process. Say it with me. A process. And the best way to spell process is T-I-M-E. Time. In his book, Pastor Lee points out that timing is everything. And I agree with him. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Did you catch that? Humble yourself. In other words, submit yourself to God's mighty hand and authority so that at the proper time he may exalt you or lift you up, raise you up. Church, there's a proper time or a timing of God that he wants to incorporate and weave into the fabric of your life by you choosing to remain in humility before him and being, wait for it, patient. Now, let's be honest, none of us enjoy being patient. None of us want to wait for anything. That's why we have microwaves and toll roads and fast passes and Amazon Prime and expedited checkout at stores. We don't like to wait because our lives are in a hurry, aren't they? We have places to go. We got people to see. Time is of the essence and time is money, right? We throw those slogans around. But in our case as believers, time is also a process through which God wants to teach you and I how to flourish in his kingdom. You see, in the kingdom of God, timing is everything. God speaks to us and plants the seeds of gifting and destiny from the vantage point of eternity outside of time. But those seeds must go through a process within time in order to come to maturity. This process is what we call seed time and harvest. We see this most vividly in the life of Peter. Peter was a very boisterous and self-confident man. He spent three years of his life walking close to Jesus and was actually considered among three of Jesus' dearest, if not closest friends. But, hear me on this, Peter was far more confident in his own readiness to reign and rule as an apostle than his process indicated he was. On the night Jesus was arrested, for example, Peter told Jesus that he would never deny him and was ready to fight to the finish and even die for Jesus. But Jesus knew exactly where Peter was at in his process. 
In Matthew chapter 26, replying to Peter's enthusiasm, Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we know from the rest of the story, that's exactly what Peter did. He denied Jesus. Of course, Peter was shattered later on in his denial of Jesus, carrying that shame and that guilt. And Jesus being a loving savior and a good friend restores Peter by calling him again to come close to him and to really listen and hear what the Savior was trying to teach him. We know that Peter would go on to behold the resurrected Christ, Jesus after, his res after, after the cross, after the resurrection, that he would embrace his calling to follow Jesus, yes, even unto death. What we see in Peter's life and in the life of all the disciples is that once again, God is more interested in who we are becoming in him rather than just what we do in his name. And guys, this is so crucial. It's so crucial for us if we're going to understand how to flourish in Jesus and in the body of Christ. We have to be patient and willing to trust the process, to trust that God truly knows what he's doing with us, even when we cannot see. Not only does this require time from us, but it requires faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 echoes this. For we, that's you and I, walk by faith and not by sight. Not only does God call us to be patient with the process, with this, this timing, he calls us to trust him with the process. And trust is really what faith boils down to. Do I really trust that God has my best interest at heart? Do I really trust that he will bring me through what I'm facing today? Do I really trust that he can take what was meant for evil and turn it for good? So let me ask you today, what are you trusting in? Psalm chapter 20, verse 7 in the NIV says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The psalmist here rightfully knows that we can trust in all sorts of things, can't we? We can trust in chariots or today technology, the government, our jobs, our bank account. Or we can trust in the name and the person of Jesus, our King. I want to invite us today to consider or even reconsider where our trust is. And the truth is, all of us have a propensity to get off course from time to time. And so as your pastor and as a communicator of God's word, I want to help us reevaluate where we are and to help us do a little bit of course correction today and realigning our trust with his process for our lives. In doing so, I also want to bring some awareness to some key things that I think really tempt us to shortcut or derail our process, and that cause us to misplace our trust. These things are dangerous tools I believe the enemy likes to use to keep us from flourishing in our process. So let's dive into that. The first thing that we know that keeps us from flourishing in our process is bitterness. Bitterness that comes by way of offense. Now let me tell you, nothing can delay or ultimately destroy a destiny quicker than this poison that inhabits the soul. Proverbs 18, 19 in the NLT says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. As Pastor Lee points out in his book, offense is a nuclear weapon against the unity and the destiny and the potential of the body of Christ. It causes division, between believers, it isolates members of the same body, keeps them from coming together to advance God's kingdom. And additionally, we will never truly become mature, or we could even say mature representations of the image of the Son, of, of Christ, 
walking in the fullness of his stature if we are tainted by offense and poisoned by bitterness. The writer of Hebrews talks explicitly about the dangers of becoming offended. He says this in Hebrews chapter 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Wow. See to it that no one falls short, he says, of the grace of God. And equally important, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble because it defiles many. Not only will bitterness grow roots, but it will defile many people in your life and all around you. Why? Because the seeds of offense are both potent and powerful. They will grow deep and fester within your soul, sprouting forth other roots that become all tangled up together within your life. Just a few weeks ago, I was working on the lawn out in my front yard. Just before we had purchased our current home, the seller had decided to cut down a few of the trees in the front yard, leaving just one. And although everything looks good on the surface, they didn't actually cut out the stumps. Hence, they left a whole bunch of roots still beneath the surface of my lawn. Well, the problem is these roots have produced all these little sprouting and prickly pop-ups all over the front yard. In fact, it's so bad that when you go out barefoot and walk among the grass, you'll occasionally step on one of these little pop-ups and cut your feet. I'm telling you, I've been in an all-out war and battle with these roots ever since. So just a couple weeks ago, I began trying to dig them out. And as I've been digging, I've noticed that the roots that were left in place from the old trees are now all tangled up with the root system of the one good healthy tree that we've wanted to keep. Do you hear what I'm possibly getting at with this illustration here? In the same way, Offense is like a tree that produces bitter roots, and if not dealt with or removed, it's going to get all tangled up in your lawn, the lawn of your heart. Not only that, but it's going to mess with and endanger the roots of others around you. It's going to produce things that are prickly and that will pop up and cut you when you're barefoot or vulnerable. And if not fully dealt with, it's going to remain long after you thought you had moved on. That's exactly how offense works. If you allow it to grow in your heart, it will not just hurt you, but it will hurt others around you. And that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to flourish. I'm reminded in the parable of the sower that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 that there's a type of soil that produces thorns or prickly pop-ups. And when the seed of God's word is sown there, those thorns grow up and they choke the other plants out. That's exactly what offense will do to you. It will choke the life out of you and those nearest to you. It will keep you from flourishing. Sometimes the hardest decision to make is to distance yourself from bitter people. This could even be friends or family that you've known and love. But they, sometimes when they become bitter, they'll become a choking force in your life and in the life of others around them if you're not careful. To mix the metaphors, sometimes if not dealt with early on, People can become so bitter and toxic that they can't help but produce bitter water from their own well. And can I give you a word of advice? From somebody who loves people, who wants to believe the absolute best in them and is typically loyal to a fault, sometimes the best decision is to not allow their toxic water supply to poison your well, which means sometimes you just have to get away from them. You have to move on. It's hard, it's difficult, but sometimes it's the wisest 
and best thing that you can do to guard and protect your own heart. Proverbs 4.23 in the NIV says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Not just some things, but everything. A pastor I admire once gave a room full of leaders this advice. He said this, there's three kinds of people in the world according to the book of Proverbs. There's evil people, there's foolish people, and there's wise people. Evil people must be avoided at all costs because they'll destroy you and delight in doing it. They are habitual liars and manipulators and will use you and abuse you. They need clinical and professional help, help that none of us are, are or ever will be in a position to provide. So be on your guard against evil people. Foolish people, on the other hand, can be cared for, but at a distance. You have to keep good and healthy boundaries with foolish people because they will bring you into their own folly and also cause hurt with their words and attitudes and actions. They tend to make dumb and stupid decisions. And if you spend enough time with them, you will too. These people also tend to love to gossip and they will poison you with offense if you let them. I'm wondering if you know anybody I'm talking about right now. Wise people are those that can be trusted and brought in close. Unfortunately, there won't be a whole lot of these people in your life, but you should seek them out at all costs because they will encourage you, they will care for you, tell you the truth, provide you sound counsel, and help you to make some great decisions. And I'll tell you what, that is absolutely the best advice I ever received. I only wish I had received it about 20 years ago. You feel me on that? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 in the ESV echoes this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Can I give you my paraphrased version of that verse? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but whoever walks with fools will not flourish. Listen to what Jesus says about foolish people that carry offense and that get easily offended. Matthew chapter 15, verse 20 through 14. Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Isn't that interesting? So leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Somebody out there today needs to hear this. You have people in your life right now that are offended or easily offended. Leave them. They are blind guides. They will only lead you and themselves into a pit. It's interesting here and curious to me that Jesus uses the analogy of plants being pulled up by the roots, kind of like the example I gave. He also says that his heavenly father will take care of it. It's his heavenly father's job to do that, not yours. Some of you have been so attached to people that you were trying to save, when in fact you need to trust, there's that key word again, that God will take care of it, or him, or her, because the last thing he wants for you is to be blindly led into a pit. A pit is a place of despair. It's a hole in the ground. It's a trap. It's a place where prisoners are cast into you. Cast into. Do you see the point Jesus is trying to make here? Offense is like a personal prison. And if you allow offended people to have access to your heart, they're going to bring you into their own prison of unforgiveness and bitterness and malice and eventually evil. And who knows how long you'll be down there for. Friends, hear me on this. God does not want you to be blindly led astray. He wants you to be firmly planted in his house with his people so that you can flourish. I can't tell you how many people I've seen leave a church 
bitter and hurt and toxic because they allowed offense to get tangled up in their hearts. And the truth is this, offense will come, but what you decide to do with it is everything. So don't take that bait. The enemy will come at us from all different sides when we're hurt or angry or weary or discouraged. He offers us shortcuts and he whispers into our ears and he's trying to hook you. He's trying to hook me. He's trying to find an open door to assert his influence and his lies. So how does he do that? Well, number one, he does that with isolation. When an offense takes place, our first reaction is to shut down relationally. We want to put space or distance between us and the person who injured us. But this can quickly lead to self-pity and even self-absorption. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1 says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise counsel. Notice what the motive is here. We isolate because we want what we want. We turn from pursuing God's will to pursuing our own will. And we justify it based on how we feel on our feelings, which aren't always very trustworthy, are they? I'm telling you guys, the enemy will leverage isolation in a huge way. If he can get you all alone, he knows that he's actually already won a big part of the battle. And so isolation will often lead to a second level of offense. Number two, dislocation. Dislocation occurs when one part of the body is not able to cooperate with the rest of the body. It needs to be put back into place like a dislocated shoulder. It needs to be held tightly in order to let the body heal it. It may require some time and some tenderness. When Paul said, if one member suffers, all suffer together, he was telling the truth. And I think many of us can relate to that. When you're injured, even if it's just a small injury, like a toe injury, it affects the rest of your activities and function. One dislocated joint or little toe can affect the entire body, and it needs to be healed. And I want to say this. Some of you out there are stumbling around with dislocated joints and you need to be healed. The good news about our God is that he is a healer and he wants to heal you if you just let him, if you just be willing to trust him with the process of what that actually looks like. Just a few moments, we're going to pray for God to bring healing right to where you're at today. And finally, that second level of offense can lead to a third, captivation, captivation. This is ultimately what the devil wants. He wants to get you so offended that you isolate yourself and become cut off from the vine of God's fellowship. He knows that the soil of God's house, the church, and that people are actually perfect for growing sons and daughters who are flourishing and thus a threat to his evil schemes. The reality is this. Wolves love to hunt sheep. They will stalk them and identify the weak and isolate it among the flock and encircle them at just the right moment. And sadly... Once these weak ones are cut off or separated from the rest and ganged up on, there isn't much that can be done to save them. In the same way, the enemy wants to get you isolated and dislocated from the rest of God's people so that he can take you captive. But that's not what God wants for you. So right now, I want to come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Isaiah 61 says that he has been anointed for this very purpose, to proclaim freedom for the captives. And John 8, 36 says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I speak the freedom of God over you today. I declare that over your life and over your family and your marriage and your finances and your health. Today, if you feel captive or dislocated or isolated in any way, I want to tell you that God in his grace and in his mercy has designed a way out for you. For every trap or pit or snare of the enemy, there is a safety hatch or a release 
that God, our great redeemer and rescuer, has designed for us to access. It's called repentance. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry or showing remorse or sorrow or regret. It's actually about turning directions. It's about thinking differently. It comes as a result of God's empowering presence in your life, which is really the only thing that's going to ever save you. Repentance will also bring with it humility and teachability, which attracts more and more grace to your life. Remember, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, which means that as long as you and I are willing to trust him to stay humble, he's got more than enough grace to help us heal, to repair, and to restore everything that was hurt, dislocated, or once held hostage by the enemy. And man, that's some good news for somebody today. And that's what he invites us to. He invites us to flourish in our process. I want to invite you to pray with me today. Maybe you've been watching or listening to this podcast online and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus right now. As I always say, the good news is that he's actually already said yes to you. Maybe at one time you followed him and Maybe you used to gather with other people and other believers, but now you've become dislocated or even cut off from the body. I want to pray that God would strengthen you and reconnect you to his people. I also want to pray for anyone today that's been hurt or wounded and that needs healing for their heart. For those of you that have never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. This will begin a new journey for you. And it goes like this, Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again on the third day. Jesus, I ask that you would give me a new life of hope and freedom in you. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit and make all things new. And for those watching that are feeling just a little disconnected or even hurt right now. Jesus, I pray that you would heal your people today. I pray that you would repair and restore the broken places of our lives. God, I know that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine. But Father, I'm asking you today that you would uproot bitterness and bring forgiveness to any offense that is holding anybody hostage. That you would realign them and reconnect them to a great, healthy church where they can grow and flourish in you. And we pray both of those things in your name, Jesus. Amen. And amen. If you just prayed either of those, we want to know about your decision today. That's important to us. For those that said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family. Welcome to the party. We'd love to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or in a great church wherever you're watching from. So to do that, you can go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital connect card. This will help our team know how to best follow up with you and to pray for you in the days ahead. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey and taking some next steps. For those of you that are here local or in the, the Salt Lake Valley, one of the best things that you can do right now is to jump into one of our watch parties. Watch parties are all about community fostering and creating opportunities for people to come together, to receive prayer, to worship, to watch the message and be encouraged in their faith. And you can go to our website, courageouschurch.com slash watch parties to check that out. As always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we want to remind you to be a generous giver. Your generosity, it allows us to reach other people that need hope and healing and courage in the life of God. 
It allows us to advance God's mission for all the people of Salt Lake City, one person at a time, come on, the Mountain West and beyond. And God's helping us to reach people beyond right now. If you want to be a part of what God's doing in a big way to make a difference through this church and you want to give, you can go to our website, CourageousChurch.com to give online. On behalf of Pastor Candice and our team, we want you to know that as always, we love you. We are for you. We are praying for you. You are his best. You are his masterpiece. So remember, be strong and be courageous. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.